September 14, 1985. The song St. Elmo's Fire was at the top of the charts. Susan Aiken of Mississippi was crowned Miss America. Bruce Springsteen had just come away a big winner in the second annual MTV Video Music Awards. And a remarkable TV show debuted on NBC. Over the next seven seasons, the Golden Girls connected us to four women who were roommates and close friends. The show confronted issues that had never appeared on TV before. Being afraid of AIDS, coming to terms with a family member who's gay, deportation, family planning, interracial marriage, that feeling of being nobody's daughter after the death of your last living parent. And through all the ups and downs, we came to love Dorothy, Blanche, Rose, and Dorothy's mother, Sophia, as strong women. The scripture that Nancy read for us this morning is also filled with strong women, women who did subversive things in order to rescue a baby who would eventually save the whole nation of Israel, women with courage and trust in God who did what was right, even when they had to break laws to do it. God used ordinary women to do extraordinary things. So with credit to Sophia, let's take a closer look at this story. Picture it, Egypt, about 1,300 years before the birth of Jesus. Jacob's family had been living in Egypt since the great famine described at the end of Genesis, the story we explored over the last two weeks. But then centuries passed. Jacob died, and over the years, Joseph and all of his brothers died as well, leaving behind generations of descendants. In fact, the first few verses of Exodus chapter 1 say that the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. And then came a new king. This part of Exodus does not mention the king's name. We're accustomed to referring to him as Pharaoh. The term Pharaoh actually, originally actually meant great house and was used to refer to the palace where Egypt's rulers lived. But over the centuries, it was adopted to refer to the rulers themselves. There were many, many, many pharaohs in, in the period from about 2600 BCE, so 2600 years before Jesus was born, until about 30 BCE when the Roman Empire took over Egypt. So this new king was one in a long line of pharaohs. And this particular pharaoh had a problem. The Israelites were taking over his kingdom, and he didn't like it. Unlike earlier rulers, he didn't have any affection for Joseph or, Joseph or any of Jacob's descendants, and he didn't feel any obligation to them. In fact, he saw them as a threat and a security risk, and started devising plans to get rid of them, or at least to keep them from continuing to multiply. The king's first plan was to reduce the Hebrew population through slavery. He ordered Egyptian leaders to enslave them and force them to do hard physical labor. They worked long hours in the fields, planting and harvesting crops. They built two whole cities to, source, to store supplies, stone by stone. 
The king hoped that some of them would die as a result of the hard physical work and that all of them would be too tired to continue procreating. But this plan failed. Forced labor did not reduce the population. In fact, the Israelites continued to be fruitful and multiply, just as God had commanded Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And their population grew even more. The king felt more and more threatened because he feared such a large population might challenge his position as king. So the king moved on to a second and much more evil plan, genocide. And it's during this evil plan that we meet the first two strong women of this story. They were two midwives whose job was to help Hebrew women give birth. And they were quite busy with all the babies being born. The king ordered these two women to kill all male babies that they helped deliver. But these two midwives, Shifra and Puah, who do not appear anywhere else in the Old Testament, were described as fearing God, a phrase that could perhaps be better translated as reverencing God or showing deep respect and honor to God. Clearly, they were women of strong faith and strong moral character. They disobeyed the king's order and let the male babies live. When the king discovered that there were many, still many baby boys alive, he summoned the midwives and demanded to know why they'd not followed his order. The women quickly came up with a cover story. The Hebrew women giving birth were so strong and vigorous that they delivered, <clears throat> delivered their babies before the midwives had time to get there to help them. And in verse 21 of the first chapter of Exodus, we discover that God approved. Because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. It's not hard to imagine the king was enraged at this point. He realized he could not re rely on these two midwives to keep the Hebrew population from increasing. So he turned to all the Egyptian people. He decreed that it was everyone's responsibility to drown all male babies born to Hebrew women by throwing them into the Nile River. Against that dangerous, brutal, and frightening backdrop, a special baby boy was born. Like many babies who grew up to do great things, this baby came from a humble family. His mother and father were Hebrews, descendants of the tribe of Joseph's brother Levi. Because of the king's death order, the baby's mother hid him for the first three months. But there are limits to how long and how well even the most devoted mother can hide a baby. Eventually, the baby got too big, too active, and probably too noisy to keep hidden. So the baby's mother came up with a daring and dangerous plan to save his life. With the help of, his of her daughter, the baby's sister, she got a basket and sealed the inside to make it watertight. She placed the baby in the basket, carried it down to the Nile, and set it in the edge of the water in the reeds. At this point, the mother disappeared, but the baby's sister stayed behind to watch and see what happened to her brother. A little later, the king's daughter came down to the river to bathe, accompanied by her maidservants. The princess spied the basket among the reeds and sent one of the maids to retrieve it. When she opened the basket, she found a three-month-old Hebrew baby boy inside. It's easy to imagine that she stared at the basket for a few minutes 
wondering what to do next. She knew that Egyptian princesses did not take care of babies. She might never have even held a baby before, and she certainly wasn't equipped to take care of one. But suddenly, a solution presented itself. A woman appeared out of nowhere and offered to find a Hebrew woman to nurse the child. I've sometimes wondered why the princess was not more curious about who this strange woman was and why she happened to be there at exactly the right moment. Of course, we know that this woman was none other than the baby's sister, and she ran off and brought back the baby's own mother to nurse him. The princess gratefully gave her the baby to nurse and paid her to care for him. And when the baby grew old enough to, to no longer need to be nursed, the mother gave him to the princess, who raised him as her own son and named him Moses. The stories of the Old Testament sometimes feel remote and far removed from our daily experiences. And yet the story of baby Moses in the reeds is memorable and dramatic, with twists and turns, and an outcome that was better than the baby's mother could have hoped. Not only was her child rescued from death by drowning, but she still got to nurse and care for him. And when he was old enough, he was sent to live in Pharaoh's palace and was raised as an Egyptian prince. There are several important themes in this story. Strong women working together, using courage to follow God in the face of injustice, and ordinary people doing extraordinary things to serve God. And throughout the story is a thread of hope that appears even when things seem grim and hopeless. All of these themes resonate just as clearly today as they did in the time of Moses. Women play a central role throughout this story. In the first part of the scripture passage, the two midwives defied the king's direct order and lied when questioned about it. In the second part, the actions of three strong women, the mother, the sister, and the princess, saved a baby who would grow up to liberate the Israelite slaves in Egypt from years of forced labor. The three women were unlikely allies. Two Hebrew women, foreigners in Egypt, despised by the king, working together with the daughter of that same king to protect a baby from state-sanctioned murder against the king's direct order to kill all male babies. The rules of society set them up as enemies, and yet they worked together to save the life of this one baby. And what's equally important about the women in this story is that they made courageous decisions, decisions that went against the rules and pressures of society, because of their faith in God. These women grew up in a patriarchal society that viewed them as less than men. The very fact that the king ordered all male babies killed but allowed girls to live tells us a lot. He saw boys as a threat and a danger to his reign as king, people who could grow up to challenge his authority and oust him. But he didn't recognize girls as a threat. And yet, in this story, it was women who quietly defied the king's order. They refused to participate in killing male babies. The midwives lied in an effort to protect both themselves and the baby boys they saved. And a group of three women went to extra efforts to rescue, protect, and nurture 
one particular baby boy. All of these women knew the law. They knew that their very lives could be at risk for defying the king. And yet they risked everything to follow their faith in God, a faith that told them that murder was wrong and babies of all genders needed protection. Strong women making courageous decisions in risky circumstances have been all around us throughout history. Queen Esther risked her life to save the Israelites. Lydia hosted the Apostle Paul in her home and led her entire family to Christianity. Joan of Arc saved France by following the instructions of God that only she could hear. Florence Nightingale cared for wounded soldiers and campaigned for improved sanitation in military and civilian hospitals. Harriet Tubman led U.S. slaves to freedom through the Underground Railroad. Rosa Parks helped advance the civil rights movement by refusing to give up her bus seat to a white passenger. Benazir Bhutto became the first woman to head a Muslim state when she became Prime Minister of Pakistan. Amelia Earhart flew alone across the Atlantic Ocean. Ruby Bridges was the first black child to attend a white elementary school in the South, and she continued attending for an entire year even after the parents removed all of her classmates from her class. As Eleanor Roosevelt once said, a woman is like a tea bag. You can't tell how strong she is until you put her in hot water. We are surrounded by women of courage today, like my grandmother, who had the determination to get a college degree and become an elementary teacher in the 1950s while caring for a family that included two young children. Look around the sanctuary today, or think about the women in your life. I'm sure you can think of someone who has done something difficult, who has persevered in trying circumstances, because of a deep and abiding faith in God and determination to follow God's guidance. Like these women, from Moses' mother to little Ruby Bridges, we all, every one of us, experience situations where living out our faith is risky, when we are called on to take a position that others disapprove or to speak out in the face of injustice. The good news in those situations is that we can take courage in the knowledge that God is there with us, just as God supported and guided the women who rescued Moses from state-sanctioned murder. This story, like the story of Joseph and his brothers, reminds us that God gives ordinary people like us the power and the courage to do extraordinary things. How will you use that courage to make God's world a better place? Are you ready? May we all, as individuals and as a congregation, rise to this challenge. Amen.